05 and 06 I deployed to Kuwait I used to wait every day for them to say Nature going home I miss my life, miss my wife For 15 months she was all alone But when I got back I felt out of control Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold I keep on drinking so I'm sinking in a river of liquor Me and my wife weren't alright, I didn't reconnect with it I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be so I invested in myself I started seeing coaches Life is a camera, I fixed the lens and now I see in focus Now my life's unrecognizable From my life just a couple years ago 17 plus years of marriage, it's never been better than this and we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm called to be a leader I'ma lead the way, cause I'm a firm believer We can do anything we want If I said it, then I meant it I probably already did it Consider it done Consider it done If you need some inspiration, you should play this Championship Leadership Podcast Hey Bailey Championship Championship Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Championship Leadership Podcast. And I'm excited we have Peter Docker here from the UK, across the pond, as I believe they, they like to say here, just outside of Oxford. So uh, welcome, Peter. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Nate. I'm delighted to be on your show. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you have a new book coming out here that we'll we'll get into in a little bit and, and want to highlight and talk a little bit about that as it deals and pertains to leadership for uh, the entrepreneurs and business owners out there that are listening here today. But um, I do like to ask all my guests as we uh, start Championship Leadership's the name of the podcast, what comes to mind for you? What do you think about when you hear Championship Leadership? I think it's a great name. For me, Champion Leadership would mean championing others, mm-hmm. which is a theme that I do pick up on my book. But, you know, it's about lifting others up. So uh, to make champions of others or give them the opportunity to step yeah. forward because we can't force anybody to, to lead. But what we can do is to create an environment where they might choose to step up and lead yeah. themselves and others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why don't you take a little time to just enlighten the listeners on who you are and a little bit of your background and, and let us know uh, a little bit of the backstory of your book as well and kind of how that came about and what it is that you're up to today. Absolutely. Well, uh, as you can tell from the accents, I not only uh, live in the UK, I'm, I'm British. So uh, my real story started, I guess, when uh, I joined the Royal Air Force in my early 20s. I was in the British Royal Air Force as a pilot for the best part of 25 years. I didn't fly throughout that time because you get to a certain rank where you no longer fly, you take care of the people who fly. And that put forward for me some leadership challenges, not least being British force commander during uh, the Iraq war of 2003 and being involved in several other campaigns, which, you know, always test you, I think. And I'm sure you can relate to that, Nate, as a a fellow veteran. So I I spent those 25 years in the Air Force. I, as well as being a pilot, I uh, taught at the leadership college, the UK Defence College, uh, around leadership. I ran $20 billion procurement programs, some of the biggest, um, well, actually it was the biggest at the time that the UK ever had. I was a negotiator with the Russians when the Berlin Wall came down. 
uh, on behalf of NATO. Uh, I negotiated with your Secretary of State on um, what's called uh, export licensing for military equipments and whatever. So I've been hugely privileged in the sort of experiences that I've had. Uh, since leaving the Air Force in 2007, I've um, been part of a, a consultancy for a few years where we worked in high-risk organizations and uh, industries such as oil and gas uh, mining and construction where people typically get hurt and uh, even killed. And we helped them to lead in a different way, which ensured that everyone went home safe at the end of each day. Mm. But then after doing that for about three years, I thought, well, there's more I can do. And that's when I um, got together with a fellow called Simon Sinek, who's quite well known in these, uh, these parts, certainly in the leadership yeah. conversation. And I became a igniter on Simon's team, helping him to take his message around the world through keynotes. And I visited about 93 countries of my lifetime. And that really all came together in a book that I co-wrote with Simon and our colleague David Mead called Find Your Why. And that came out in 2017 and sold about 460,000 copies, I think now in 26 languages, which is pretty good going. Yeah. But then a couple of years ago, uh, David and I just decided to step away from Simon and develop our own work. And for me, what that looked like was sitting down, reflecting on everything I've learned from all the experiences that I've mentioned and others, such as being faced with crash landing an airplane with 140 people on board. That, that was an interesting day. Yeah, and wow. putting all that together uh, into a new book called Leading from the Jump Seat, How to Create Extraordinary Opportunities by Handing Over Control. So that's what I've been working on this year, and it came out in October around the world. And I'm excited to share the ideas with everyone. Yeah, that's an incredible uh, background and backstory and, and experiences. The, the subtitle, uh, say that again. It's How to Create Extraordinary Opportunities by handing over control. Yeah, so let's talk about that because I think many could on the surface level when you think of leadership, maybe be a little bit more all about control than, than giving yeah. it up. I, I think that can be a hard thing for, for leaders to do is to maybe give up some control. But I think as you could, there's a reason that, that it's a subtitle for you. And I think it's very powerful when championship leaders are able to do that, have the ability to do that. So maybe talk a little bit more about the importance of that or why you chose that as a, a part of the title of the book. Well, I'll tell you what it is, what I mean by that, and then tell you the story where it came from. So, you know, Nate, it's inevitable that we all give up control at some stage. It is inevitable. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're CEO of a, a mega company, at some stage we will retire. If we are a team leader, at some stage we'll likely shift to another team or move away. Even, heck, as a parent, you know, our kids right. grow up, yeah. leave home, and eventually start to lead their own lives. So what Leading from the Jump Seat is all about is how do we prepare our people? How do we lift them up so as they are in a great position to be able to lead themselves and carry forward those things that we feel are really important? And, you know, jump seat leadership is not about retaining or growing our own power. It's about empowering others. And the jump seats metaphor actually comes from a, a true story almost 20 years ago now when I was a pilot flying large passenger jets. And I was just doing the final checks on a young guy, a great pilot who was moving from the right-hand seat where the co-pilot or first officer sits over to the left-hand seat, which is where the captain sits on big passenger jets. And this final check from me was just to certify him really and make sure that 
all the boxes were ticked. He'd done about six months of training. So this last section was from him to flyers from London over to Washington, Dulles, and then on to San Fran. And uh, San Fran is a very busy airport, as many will know. And Callum, this young guy, did a fantastic job. We touched down, we taxed in, shut down the engines. The passengers got off. I turned to him and I said, Callum, fantastic job. You're fully signed up now. Uh, we're going to stop here the night, but tomorrow morning I'll be down the back with the rest of the passengers as you fly us back to Washington, Dulles. And it was a great feeling. You know, he'd worked hard and it was a wonderful yeah. thing to sign him up. And the following day, we were getting ready to, to fire up the aircraft and taxi out. And Callum, he came to me and he said, excuse me, sir. And he called me sir because we were in the military. I was several ranks higher than him. So it's just the way that the system worked. But he, excuse me, sir, can you come and sit on the jump seat for takeoff, he said, for taxi and takeoff? Because... It's rush hour here in San Fran, and it's very busy. And uh, I just like an extra pair of eyes on the flight deck just to watch out for other traffic, make sure we go the right way to the runway, et cetera. And uh, I thought at the time, that's a very courageous move because right. he's just got me off his back. You know, I've been checking him for several days, and it was his first chance to get me off his back and just get on with his job. But actually, he was connected to a higher purpose, which was the safety of the aeroplane. And he wanted an extra pair of qualified eyes on that flight deck watching out for other aircraft. And so I sat on the, the jump seat. And as many people know, the jump seat is a seat immediately behind the two pilots on most of the aircraft. And you're so close, you can reach and touch the pilots on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. So that's where I sat. I strapped in. We taxied out to the runway. And it was our turn to get airborne. And we thundered down that runway. And Callum pulled back on the controls and we got airborne. We were about three or 400 feet above the ground and we had an emergency. And Callum was wrestling with the controls. And I had a choice in that moment. What I chose to do in maybe the next two seconds yeah. would dictate whether I and the 140 people on board survived or not. But here's the thing. I sat there quite calmly with my hands in my lap and I did absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. Because in that moment, Nate, I didn't need to lead. I needed to be a great follower. Mm -hmm. Callum needed to feel that I had his back. Yeah. Because like all of us, when we feel that someone else has got our back, it helps us to step up, to be who we need to be, and to do what we need to do. I knew that Callum was fully trained and was capable. Heck, if I didn't think he could handle the situation, I would have had no business signing him up the day before to fly this aircraft anywhere in the world right. as a captain. So I just needed to stay out of his way. So that connected for me, everything I've mentioned about handing over control, leading from the jump seat. It's a metaphor. You know, the flight deck of an aircraft is uh, a microcosm of leadership for me. And it gives you the opportunity to, well, see some of the greatest leadership and actually sort of lots of good leadership. Yeah. And although the, the book is couched in those terms, this is a leadership book because we've all been on that metaphorical jump seat. You know, maybe we're running our own company and we've got a new guy who's very competent and he's going to a meeting to close this big sale, which is really important. Yeah. Do we let go of control? And then mm. get on with his job. Yeah. Or do we muscle in, try and take over control again? And, uh, you know, what I put forward, leaving from the jump seat, it's all about lifting others up so they can lead. So that when we step back and uh, no longer in the game, they carry forward those things that are really important to us. 
That's an incredible story. Did you ever talk? I'm sure there was a lot of conversation uh, after afterwards, and obviously you guys were uh, made it out of that okay. But did he ever specifically talk to you or or ask you why you responded the way you did, or or potentially even like why you didn't? Um, you know, did you guys talk through that conversation at all uh, in that decision that you made in that yeah. second? I mean, a, a couple of things on that night. First of all, yeah, clearly Callum sorted out the problem. Uh, and we climbed up safely to 30,000 feet or whatever it was and in the cruise. And the autopilot was in and we, we were good to continue. It yeah. was just a transitory problem uh, to do with the, the weather at the time. Um, and when we we're up at cruising altitude, I was in the galley having a cup of tea because, you know, I'm British and that's what you do at times of stress. You have a cup yeah, of tea, right? right? Yeah. Uh, well, when a beer is not available. So anyway, yeah. and Callum, he gave control to the other pilot, which is perfectly acceptable. And he came back to stretch his legs. And we stood there with our cups of tea. And I said to him, Callum, I said, great job back there. Well done. And it's then when I saw what I referred to as the captaincy moment. He said, thank you, he said. And then he looked down this aircraft, the 140 men, women and children on board. And he said, I now know what it means to be a captain yeah you know uh, and that was a, a yeah. moment that we'll probably remember because it the responsibility was his right um but he right. dealt with it perfectly but in answer to your question of course it wasn't just that moment at san francisco uh, that was, was successful it was everything that built up to that moment the mm -hmm. relationship that callum and i had just think for a moment about that invitation he gave me he invited me onto that flight deck. He didn't have, but yeah. he chose yeah. to invite me. Right. And that says a lot about the system that we had in place, the relationship that we had. It was a deep, you know, as I have with all my people, a, a deep relationship. Uh, I knew him. I, I knew his family. And over time, we'd built up that trust uh, through the competency he'd shown through his, his training, his ability, the skill level. Um, but also, he knew that I would have his back. And so I, I think that poses a really interesting question for any of us who find ourselves in a, a position that calls on leadership. You know, in a similar situation, would we be invited yeah, to right. come and sit on the shoulder? Would we be invited into that sales meeting when, when one of our junior people was leading it? I, I think that invitation was was all. So... Yeah, that, that's about as, as much as we discussed. But I think when yeah. you start to, to unpick that, you find that the foundation of relationship that we had enabled that situation to unfold as it did. Yeah, absolutely. Let's shift gears just a little bit. And who are some of the championship leaders that, that have impacted you? And, um, you know, more specifically, I guess, is kind of, you know, what, what is it about them that really has stood out as, as a leader? coach or mentor that that maybe you've taken and adapted into who you are as a leader so there's a few people that spring to mind i'll i'll mention one guy who i've written about in the book as well his full name is lieutenant general sir james dutton kcb cbe bar he he's been knighted by the queen of this country twice uh, <laughs> once twice. pretty unusual but twice wow. Uh, he was the, the, the former governor of Gibraltar, a, a British territory uh, on the, the tip of Spain. Uh, and he's, he was the, the Queen's representative there, led the government there. And he also led 
British and American Marines in the 2003 invasion of Iraq. And he did so brilliantly. He mm -hmm. uh, led the, uh, the advance on, on Basra. But I know him because a few years before that, I was working in our Ministry of Defence, which is a bit like cross between your Pentagon and State Department. And I was fortunate. He was, my, he was a couple of ranks above me, uh, a one-star general. And I was very fortunate to work directly to him. And what I remember, in fact, there's a specific moment that captures who Jim Dutton was and still is to this day. I was walking down one of the corridors in our Ministry of Defence and Sir James Dutton was coming the other way. And by the way, he's known as Jim, not James. He's very, <laughs> very human. And he was coming the other way. He had a bunch of papers in his arm, a folder. And I knew he was just going off to, to brief our Prime Minister. And he paused as he saw me coming along. And he said, Peter, I said, yes, sir. And he opened one of his folders. He said, what do you think about this? What should I say here? Now, I can't remember what the subject matter was. Mm -hmm. um, I gave him an answer. I can't remember what I said, and <laughs> let alone whether he used that or not. But the point is, Nate, it's the way he looked at me. It was the pause, the willingness to ask a question, and the willingness to listen. Mm -hmm. And because you felt it, he created this environment where you felt that you belonged, yeah. that you had a contribution and he would listen. Didn't mean to say he'd always take on, uh, he would always use what you, you told him, but that was fine. Mm -hmm. It was he created this, this space where you felt able to contribute. And I, I think that is so, so important because as a jump seat leader, you know, if we are the person who has always got to be the one who has the answer, then we become the constriction in the pipe. Yeah. We can slow down progress. But when we get really comfortable leading when we don't know the answer and instead create an environment where those on our team can contribute their input and together we can learn our way through to the solution, it helps to accelerate our progress as a team and we go way beyond where we would if we were just the person who had the answer, you know, as that, that leader. Yeah, so right. uh, Jim Dutton remains one of my... Uh, heroes, if you like. And I'm delighted to say that this year I reconnected with him after about 20 years. And he's just the same. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And uh, I, I would happily uh, be on his team and follow him anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's an incredible example of, I think, a lot of what championship leadership is all about is just that, that small little interaction that you talked about uh, says so much about leadership right there. It's the little things that count. Yeah, it is. It, absolutely. What is, uh, what's your vision? I think championship leaders have incredible vision. In the States here, it's my big football guy, which I guess, uh, you know, uh, not soccer, but, <laughs> but uh, the oblong ball sport. But, you know, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban are two incredible coaches on the professional and college level here. They continue to find a way to win and, you know, they're competing against the best in the world. Right. And I think that's a big part of that is the vision that they have. And, and more importantly, probably the courage to take action on that and continue to, to adapt and change to an ever evolving profession and sport. I'm curious, what's, what's your vision and, you know, maybe even short term, you got the book uh, release going on right now and, and uh, you know, you left 
the partnership with Simon Sinek a, a few years back and, and you have this new vision of where you want to go. And more importantly, I guess, you know, the impact that you want to make moving forward. Well, actually, I'll answer that question. Uh, and I'd like to, to mention, <laughs> I, I hesitate, but American football, yeah. right? because you might be able to see on the, the flip chart behind me, it's just coincidence. It's a bit blurry because the camera. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. There's this hierarchy of problem, challenge, opportunity. And I often use American football as an example of that because, you know, often we see things as problems. And for me, a problem is static. It's like standing on the attacking line, facing off the defensive side in a football game, and the whistle is not yet gone. And all you can see in front of you are the players of the opposing side, and that's your problem. Mm-hmm. But then the whistle goes and you run at that problem. And that is when your problem turns turns into a challenge. A challenge is dynamic. You're running towards it. As you take on that challenge and you attack, you break through that defensive line and you can see the touchdown line ahead of you. And that's when your challenge turns into an opportunity. So I like to see everything as an opportunity, you know? Yeah. Um, run towards it. So I just wanted to pick up on that because you mentioned football and I, I think it's a, a, a great example and it's a great leadership opportunity as well uh, in, in any team sport. But in terms of my vision, leading from the jump seat, as I say, is all about lifting others up so they can lead. So I've used the writing of the book as an exercise in that. So I could have gone down a traditional publishing route uh, as I did with Find Your Why with Simon Sinek and David Mead. Uh, actually, what I've chosen to do is create my own publishing company. And I did that because I have a number of fantastic people around me who have got together all of the skills needed to uh, help me get this book out. And the model that I follow, each of them actually have got their own businesses. Mm-hmm. And I'm in service of them, helping them build their business. And I'm actively lifting them up, but also the skills that they deploy in their business, they're useful, have been useful for me to, to publish this book. So we're not a traditional team in the traditional sense in that we work under the same company banner, but we come together in support of one another to help lift each other up. So my vision moving forward is, yeah, it'd be great if um, lots of people bought my book because I think there are ideas in there. It's a how-to book. There are yeah. ideas in there, regardless of where you are on your leadership journey, leading yourself, um, being a great parent. You know, there's <laughs> wonderful tips and tricks in, <laughs> in the book about being a great parent, which yeah. I think is one of the hardest leadership challenges that many of us face. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I, I would love for the book to be successful from that point of view because it means that more people are getting access to the ideas. But actually, my vision is means that that, as a result, is a, a side issue, really. It's continuing to, to work with these great people to help them rise and be more than they could imagine and helping one another in the process. So that's the fun, and that's what uh, I'll be focused on over the, the, the coming year or so. Excellent. I love it. Brilliant, as I believe you guys uh, say over there. I got a good friend in in Scotland. Every time he says that, I love it. So, but uh, yeah, I love it. Beautiful. I want to switch gears here. This is kind of probably one of my favorite questions to ask on the podcast is, you know, 
what is a critical moment for you? Kind of that fork in the crossroads type moment where I think, especially, you know, with the pandemic and everything that's gone on almost for two years now, there's a lot of people in those moments. Always, it's a hard, it's a hard place to be and to decide which way to go, right? Because you don't want to get it wrong. Uh, you might be feeling tugged one way, and then and others tugging you another, right? And there's no guarantees in that moment, and so you got to really kind of trust your gut or figure out which way you want to go. So I want to take you to a moment that maybe you've had. I think we've all had many of these moments, but maybe some stick out more than others. And obviously you made the decision you did, which has you where you are today, but had you not, you'd be in a very different place. Is there an example that, or uh, one that kind of comes top of mind? Well, um, I, I think the question you've asked like, is really important. And it's where coincidentally I, I start in the first few chapters of the book, because many of us are in a situation either now or previously or in the future we will be in a situation where we don't know the answer. Yeah. We are surrounded by uncertainty. It's very unsettling. And I think in these situations, it's really important to figure out some fundamental things. And this is where my book starts. Mm-hmm. We need to figure out what's really important to us. I'm yeah. not talking about the latest iPhone or paycheck or whatever. No. What's genuinely important to us? And we can figure that out by the choices that we make. But let me give you an example. What I mean by what's really important to you is, well, for many of us, it's family, right? A couple of years ago, I had a phone call from my wife. She'd been involved in a car accident. And I was on a call, but I dropped everything because I was going to go and help my wife. It was only a couple mm-hmm. of miles away. There was nothing on this earth that would have got in my way. And yet I was stepping into the unknown. Yeah. But I went willingly. So when I'm talking about things that are really important to you, I'm talking about those things that light that fire inside of you. Because then it gives you the energy to take on the unknown and to step into that, that place. And so it made me think, well, what other things light a similar fire inside of me? And again, it's the choices that we make in life. And one of the first choices I made was when I went to university 40 years ago, almost to the day. Good heavens, I'm that old. But anyway, <laughs> I chose to go and study computing and electronic engineering at, at college at university. I had no background in those whatsoever. Why did I go and do that? It was because my family was very hard up for money at the time. Both my parents were unemployed. And I felt by studying those subjects, it would give me the opportunity to get a really well-paid job and I'd be able to support my family and myself. I wouldn't be a burden on anybody. Mm-hmm. So that dictated that choice. So that's the first thing that came up as something that's really important to me, helping others and not being a burden on, on others. But then halfway through my college degree, something else happened in the world. The Falklands down in the South Atlantic, which is the British territory, was invaded. This was in 1982. It was invaded by um, Argentina. And... Argentina imposed their rule, if you will, on the Falkland Islands, who felt very much, as they do to this day, British. Now, for me, it was nothing to do with politics, but it had everything to do with, well, I felt in sense that someone was imposing their will on others. Yeah. And so I chose, halfway through my college degree, I chose to leave university and join the Royal Air Force because I felt that I would then be part of a team who in the future would be able to help those who couldn't help themselves. 
And so that was a big crossroads in my life. Now, I articulate that these days as something that's really important to me, which is mutual respect. We respect one another. And so there are a few examples there of things that are really, really important to me. Now, the reason this is vital when we're leading in the unknown or don't know where we're heading is that these things, these deeply held drivers, give us a handrail, a guide to figure out which way we need to go. It, it's one up from trusting your gut, you know? Yeah, if yeah. I'm faced with a situation and I don't know what to, to do, then I've got these, these drivers around family, around mutual mm -hmm. respect, around not being a burden on others, about helping others. And these, amongst others, other important drivers, help me move forward when otherwise I might be paralyzed. So that's why I think it's really vital for us all to put into words what really matters to us because they then become stands, what we stand for. It's part of right. our character. And you've come across this, Nate, in, in your life. I, just looking at the, the website, you've figured out in your life what is really important to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of that is your family. Part of it is helping others to be great leaders. And this enables you to overcome the challenges that you face and the changing environment in which we, we operate and work. So uh, that's what guides us. Yeah, I love it. That's beautiful too. Appreciate it. And, and very, uh, you know, it's always fun to hear the, the stories and the examples. And, and uh, mm -hmm. it's also fun to, to hear the, the unique answers that come, come through it. So I appreciate that. As we start to wrap this up, I want to respect your time. You know, if there are one or two things that you could leave the listeners with today, that if they were to take action, implement right away today would help move their life forward. What might those be outside of what we've already talked about, which has been great? Well, I'll say this. It's linked to what we were just talking about, Nate. Everything that we do in life that's important to us, everything is driven by just one of two things. It's driven either by fear or by love, mm -hmm. period. I'll come back to love because people get twitchy when I mention that word <laughs> yeah, in a business right. context. But first of all, let's deal with fear. You know, fear is a reaction inside of us when our life is on the line. And it helps us to, to jump back out of the way of an oncoming car. Yeah, that's good. But most of the time in life, thankfully, we're not in that situation. Yeah. But fear also gets triggered when we sense our livelihood, our status, mm -hmm. or our reputation is under threat. And then fear does not help us. Fear shows up as ego quite often or anger. Yeah. And that we start to lose control. And we start to think about ourselves and not about others. We start to see the world as a place of scarcity mm -hmm. and a win-lose dimension where there can only be one winner and that's got to be us and everybody else must lose. Yeah. But the good news is we always have a choice. And that choice is to be driven instead by love. And the way love shows up certainly in a business context, is we see the world as a place of possibility and opportunity, not scarcity. We think in terms of supporting others rather than just a focus on ourselves. And importantly, instead of an ego, we allow ourselves to be driven by what I call humble confidence. And humble confidence is where we're absolutely resolute in the direction that we're heading. We're willing to make the decisions when they need to be taken but we have the humility to listen to others, 
to bring in just like Sir James Dutton did with me in that corridor that one day, yeah. you know, to listen to people on our team or indeed our family to help us figure out what it is we need to do. And the thing that joins fear and love is courage. Mm-hmm. Courage cannot exist without fear, but it can only be sustained through love. Yeah. So what I'd leave your, your folks thinking about, should they choose, is your actions today in this uncertain world. Are you allowing yourself to be driven by fear? Or are you going to find the courage to allow yourself to be driven by love for something rather than fear of something? Mm-hmm. That's when we're driven by love, it shifts the whole context and creates opportunities that we couldn't previously even imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. What are a few ways that we can follow you and find out more about you and, and also obviously to access and, and get a hold of a copy of the book? Sure thing. So um, my website, leadingfromthejumpseat.com, leadingfromthejumpseat.com. There are tools and resources on there. Um, I give keynotes, I run leadership programs, workshops. Uh, so there's lots of information there. And also I'm a Book. It's available in all the usual places: paperback, hardback, ebook, um, audio book. Um, I can send you a link, and uh, well, Amazon and everywhere else you could imagine. Yeah, okay. It is available. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. thanks for that, Nate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Peter, for being here and taking some time. It's been incredible. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks for having me. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait I used to wait every day for them to say Nature going home I miss my life, miss my wife for 15 months she was all alone But when I got back I felt out of control Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold I keep on drinking so I'm sinking in a river of liquor Me and my wife weren't alright, I didn't reconnect with it I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be so I Invested in myself, I started seeing coaches Life is a camera, I fixed the lens and now I see in focus Now my life's unrecognizable From my life just a couple years ago 17 plus years of marriage, it's never been better than this And we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm gonna be a leader, I'ma lead the way Cause I'm a firm believer, we can do anything we want If I said it then I meant it, I probably already Championship Leadership Podcast. Hey, Bailey. Championship, 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 leadership podcast. Championship Leadership Podcast. With Nate Bailey.